I'm also very honored to be here. Uh, it's my first time at the Reuters Institute, so it's uh, always a bit of a curiosity how the place looks like, <laughs> where people are working, because I've had quite a lot of um, your work here, and I think there's uh, quite a lot of shared interests, I'm sure. Um, yeah, we had just had a chat about um, our, our um, academic upbringing. Um, actually, I, I'm coming from political science and then uh, got into um, media and politics. Um, so my background is more comparative political science rather than journalism, but I think it might be quite an interesting conversation uh, across these lines. Right, um, and this is about a comparative research project, and I will talk about um, more details of this um, um, project a bit later. Um, what I'm interested uh, in this paper here is um, yeah, about journalistic culture, is, uh, cultures is um, Thomas Hannett. Calls it, uh, who is also doing um, uh, a global comparative research on um, journalistic orientations, journalistic attitudes, perceptions of their own work. Um, and I'm focusing here obviously on new democracies. Um, I think at the moment um, I don't need to emphasize the excitement about uh, democratization because uh, I think probably everybody of us is, is sort of glued on to, to the television, to, to um, um, online news at the moment about uh, what is going on in the, in the Arab world. Uh, and it's also quite interesting um, that in the 1990s, beginning of 2000s, uh, transition scholars were, um, I think, more or less of the opinion that the third wave uh, is over. Uh, we can't expect any more transitions anymore. Um, forget about the Middle East, hopeless case. Uh, and again, uh, there is certainly this outbreak of, of people demanding for change, and the media are playing a central role here. So um, I. I have to pull myself together not to talk about the Middle East, but about uh, new democracies, which are now almost a bit old. It's uh, two from Eastern Europe and uh, two from uh, Southern Africa. Um, so uh, in all these transitions, not only in the, in the recent ones uh, we are, we are um, witnessing at the moment, um, the, the press has played a very central um, role in press freedom, which is uh, sort of the central concept of my talk tonight, uh, was one of the main um, objectives uh, people wanted to achieve. And yet, when you look at the transition process over the last, say, 20, 25 years, uh, it turned out that the media, the transformation of the media, uh, was one of the most disputed arenas of transition, which um, quite a lot of people find um, surprising. Uh, because uh, everybody um, agreed on press freedom as a central goal, so why was there so much dispute about it? Um, so even about 20, 25 years after transition, um, the role of the media, the scope of uh, press freedom remains highly disputed. 
um, some people have, have labelled media wars, maybe, um, yes, the, the Hungarian case was uh, the mother of all media wars here, um, describing these intense uh, clashes between governments and the media, in particular broadcast media, about the scope of press freedom. And uh, these conflicts have never been really settled, as we know from, from recent news. Uh, Hungary, Hungary was, was in the news recently because of their um, new media law, which uh, the European Union didn't like. Um, Bulgaria, same case. I think it took them about seven or eight years to come up with their first media law, and then revised it, I think, 28 times. Uh, South Africa, which is part of the study here, uh, is recently going through a similar um, co controversy about what they call media tri tribunal, um, where people fear that basically the government wants to, to sort of um, 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 hijack control over, over the media and take away uh, the, the self-governance, the self-regulation from media organizations. What is also quite interesting, I think, just as a footnote in all these um, these conflicts, is that in all these cases, uh, the, the 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 public was highly involved. I mean, you saw these demonstrations in Hungary recently, uh, in other countries, where people uh, took to the streets uh, to defend their media. I mean, we can't really imagine this in Britain or. In, Germany, where I'm from. So uh, media, uh, the media and, and the role in, in society is quite central here. So the question is, um, what is going on here? Um, why is it so difficult to establish consensus about um, press freedom and the scope of press freedom? Now, um, there's one easy answer uh, to it, and probably most of the uh, most of the observers would sort of stick to that, and would argue, okay, it's about power, and because uh, the media are one of the most important resources of power in democratic politics, um, politicians don't want to let it go, and therefore these fights. I mean, it's quite um, um, obvious. Um, but I think these uh, the causes of these um, controversies run deeper uh, than this sort of slightly cynical explanation, which uh, basically looks at power. Um, another explanation, which um, I would follow up more in this paper, is uh, the nature of press freedom itself. Um, and uh, the, um, the idea that even though it's a universally acclaimed value, it is highly ambiguous. And it's, it's based on interpretations um, of everybody who is involved in um, public con uh, communication. Um, so it is these interpretations of press freedom in sort of the everyday theories of communication pro uh, professionals about press freedom, what it is, um, what, what it involves, um, where the boundaries are, um, which I, I'm interested here in this, um, um, uh, in this paper. And this takes probably a slightly different view on press freedom, because I think most of the research so far on um, uh, new democracies has um, 
focused on uh, media regulation, media policy, this kind of institutional transformation. And relatively little is known about how uh, individual journalists who are doing the day-to-day -day work, um, what their perception of press freedom is and how this affects their, their daily routines. So um, before I go more into uh, the empirical research, um, okay, um, yeah, here are some background considerations, quite in brief, um, about um, what I call the ambiguity of press freedom. Um, so yeah, we, I talked about that um, 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 press, uh, the press is a power resource, but um, the ambiguity of press freedom is, um, yeah, is based on the idea that press freedom is um, basically all other values and institutions of our society are what some scholars um, call a social construct, um, which means that um, um, institutions and values are not some kind of given facts, objective entities, but uh, they, ha they, they exist through interpretation, they are endowed with meaning, they are justified uh, by the members of the society in the co uh, uh, process of communication. So um, this, uh, these institutions are not sort of like a building, an uh, object in front of us. They are products of our, um, our values, our interpretations, our thoughts. Um, and I think there is quite a lot of interesting um, literature around institutions as social constructs. I think uh, one of the most interesting and um, I think convincing examples of institutions being a social construct is money, um, because you take out a 20 pound note, it's um, fa uh, maybe two, three piece worth it, but everybody believes it's 20 pounds and what you get for it is 20 pounds and not the real value of this piece of paper. So there is, uh, I think, a very striking example that this institution of money uh, is based on the agreement of a society to regard this piece of paper 20 pounds worth. So. In a similar way, you could argue that any other values like democracy and press freedom uh, are not clear-cut um, values, but again go through a process of, of communication, of interpretation, and this makes it so ambiguous. Yeah. Um, so, Berger Luckmann, who, who um, wrote this, probably the first book on, on these ideas, um, they then argue, okay, once a certain set of beliefs, a certain institutionalization has taken place, people take these institutions for granted and think, okay, it's like an object. And uh, probably this is what happens to us uh, most of the time that we take um, democracy and press freedom is taken for granted and also the way in which we interpret democracy and press freedom uh, is the only possible um, way of thinking about it as if it is an objective solution to this particular problem how to organize democracy. Um, I think this has um, quite a lot of implications, for example, in, um, in media assistance, which um, 
basically um, regards sort of the liberal Anglo-Saxon model of democracy and press freedom is sort of the only um, way of doing it. Um, but at the same time, um, people forget how big the variation within, say, established Western uh, democracies is when we talk about press freedom. I mean, just a few examples. Um, the Holocaust denial, which in, in Germany um, is um, sort of, um, um, yeah, forbidden. It's, it's a criminal uh, offense when you when you publicly uh, say, okay, the Holocaust didn't happen uh, in, in the U.S. completely unthinkable because people would think this falls under the freedom of speech. Uh, recently, uh, the, the um, conflict about the Danish cartoons, which I think is already two years ago. Um, but I think this was an interesting example where you saw that different um, established democracies who think they have a clear vision of what press freedom is, uh, came to very different solutions, whether to publish it or not, or whether to republish it or not. Um, so, Given the fact that press freedom is so sort of fluid concept with relatively gray zone bo uh, um, boundaries, I think uh, it's no wonder that it is so difficult to come to a, a consensus in new democracies what in a given society it actually involves. Um, this is a bit of a simplistic way of thinking of it. Um, um, uh, basically, it's two slides, but it didn't go on one. Um, the, uh, this view on press freedom argues, okay, basically, you can think of press freedom of uh, a dimension with two poles. One is the liberal model, the other one is the um, social respo uh, the responsibility model. And somewhere in between, probably, you could uh, locate most of the, the democratic countries. Now, the liberal model is is based on a relatively absolute notion of press freedom, where press freedom is almost treated like freedom of expression, and quite a lot of NGOs actually do this. Um, it's modeled in analogy of the market based on uh, John Stuart Mill, um, which assumes that um, a truth is an emergent, uh, emerging product coming out of, of competition. And um, usually the idea is, okay, you leave the media alone as much as possible and the truth emerges. Um, and there's a nice um, uh, um, quote from Walter, uh, Walter Cronkite, who was um, quite an, uh, not really celebrity, but one of, of the most um, prominent US journalists and anchorman of CBS in the 60s and 70s. And I think he, brings it to a point, uh, I don't think it is any of our business what the moral, political, social, or economic effect of our reporting is. So a relatively <laughs> strict view on, okay, we are telling you the news, and what happens to this is not our business, which is obviously um, very different from um, the responsibility model, which is more dominant in, in, in the European countries, where the idea is that press freedom exists for a particular purpose even have to be justified to be um, uh, protected, uh, constitutionally protected in some um, 
way. I think the German constitution has elements of it. Um, so uh, the view is that the media have a moral obligation to produce benefits for the wider society, to be um, um, a promoter of, of democracy in some way or the other. And of course, public service broadcasting is, is the institution which carries this idea uh, most clearly. Um, right. So, if we understand press freedom sort of on this stretch of, of quite extreme views, then of course the question is, okay, you, uh, you have these transitional societies, journalists trying to find their way, trying to look out for orientation, where they want to position themselves, and uh, what looked like a clear-cut um, value is in fact not a clear-cut value. Uh, which is just sitting there to, to pick from. Um, so what are the, the um, sources, um, journalists in yeah, emerging democracies um, pick from? And here are um, basically two plus one um, um, ways of, of thinking, OK, what happens in this transitional um, process? Um, one process would be that um, journalists and any other policymaker in, in uh, transitional uh, societies looks out for the Western role model. Yeah? Um, usually relatively tight time constraints, so they look west and see, okay, that works, and we, we copy it. And this is what um, Slavko Splitschel uh, called imitative revolutions. You take the institutions which are in the West and you try to um, import them. Um, the idea is, okay, in the end, after some back and forth, you would have uh, a convergence and, okay, the, the, the trajectories of the past fade away and, okay, you, you would have a more or less global movement probably towards the liberal model. At least this is what Helen and Mancini would say, that the, uh, the liberal model would, uh, is, is more, more the dominant model. Um, the other alternative draws on what I said before about uh, the, the social construction of social norms, where um, the actors in a given um, 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 democ yeah, emerging democracy are drawing on their own historical experiences and their own um, cultural values, collective narratives, and use this material to reinterpret what they see, what they get from the West, which means that it is what we get is divergence. We have new uh, models and new views of press freedom emerging um, from this mixture, so to speak. And then a third um, influence certainly is the immediate constraints of the, the situation. Okay, um, this is a little bit. Um, my thinking about what happens when um, you, you um, sort of transform institutions after regime changes, and media are certainly one of the um, main institutions. And um, 
in this study here um, I'm talking about, this follows basically uh, these considerations. Yeah, um, how journalists and new democracies interpret the concept of press freedom. Um, and how do they think about um, the concept of responsi responsibility? And to what extent uh, do a cultural and political context shape these um, interpretations? Okay. Um, Okay, this is a bit small print, but you don't have to sign anything. Um, yeah, um, this is the um, more um, background about the, the study itself, and uh, my paper today is sort of um, a fragment of this. Um, the, the study is called Political Communication in New Democracies, and um, in that study we are um, comparing um, eight countries, and the idea of picking these eight countries was uh, the argument, okay, the, the, the way in which institutions are formed and the media are formed, political communication is, is shaped. Uh, is at least to some extent influenced by the previous regime which has these legacies on how people interact with each other. So we picked these four pathways uh, from communist regimes um, in Eastern Europe, from military uh, dictatorships in Latin America, from East Asian one-party rules and post-colonial uh, one-party rules uh, in Southern Africa. So that's the theoretical idea, and as always, <laughs> comparative research, there's quite a lot of ad hoc pragmatism involved. So uh, if you ask me why these countries and not others, I can tell you a very clear-cut theoretical story about it, but somehow it's, of course, uh, you know people who work on particular areas, and you know they deliver, and they are reliable. <laughs> So, and they happen to be um, specialists on South Africa and Namibia, which is Herman Wasserman. Um, and in other cases, I happen to have um, PhD students in Bulgaria and South Korea, so I thought, brilliant, they can do the, the interviews for me. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, so, but um, if you want to hear the official story, it is, so we have, um, in comparative terms, um, a most uh, different, uh, different design across these uh, four pathways and a most similar design within these pathways. It sounds better, probably. Uh, <laughs> and in, um, uh, yeah, but this is also a reason, and I think this is the most obvious question here, um, why we, we chose these two African um, countries where quite a lot of other countries in Sub-Saharan Africa might be not more interesting because I think South Africa is definitely one of the most interesting uh, transitional societies, but um, yeah, knowing colleagues there. Um, and then the idea was to, to look at um, political communication, not just at journalism. So we interviewed, um, with semi-structured interviews, um, journalists, politicians, and what we call intermediaries, meaning spin doctors, people, if they exist in these countries. 
who who are now between uh, these two sets of actors and becoming more influential. Um, so in, in this paper, we, because so far we have mainly done um, our analysis within each region just to get a feeling for, for the material we got in these interviews. So that's basically a first attempt to uh, join two different pathways which are very, very different in this case, Eastern Europe and, and uh, Southern Africa. And um, to keep it a bit sort of manageable, I'm just looking at journalists and not the other two groups of, of interviews we got. And um, so also yeah, and, and to focus on their, their views on um, press freedom, how they interpret it. Um, it's only a very small part of these interviews. I mean, the interviews all in all, okay, some were half an hour because people have these um, appointments. Some were two and a half hours, um, and depending a bit how much time people got. So it's it's some of them are really quite exciting to read, and coming from. <laughs> number country background it's it's quite an experience to be sort of confronted with these huge amounts of text um, so we are looking at um, the grand values like um, um, orientations towards democracy and free press freedom but we are also looking at how uh, especially politicians and journalists negotiate their relationship with each other so um, the questions I'm looking in this paper, looking at in, in this ca uh, paper, um, draws on this idea between these two models of press freedom. And um, so the, the prompter was some people argue that press freedom isn't absolute and that there are other values that have to be taken into account. Do you think that media freedom should be paramount or do you think there are legitimate reasons for restrictions? And then there's the other question. Um, um, it's often argued that media should behave responsibly, how they think about this, and um, whether they can give examples for that. OK, so um, there are quite a lot of um, quotes. And it's always with this kind of research. I always feel that as a researcher, you are so excited about the quotes, and I've listened to so many papers where I don't find the quotes so interesting. So <laughs> I hope there are some interesting statements here which illustrate the similarities and uh, differences between journalists in, in Eastern Europe and South Africa, but also within each of these areas. So um, when it comes to the question, um, um, Okay, these two poles, freedom versus responsibility. How do you? Where, where are your preferences? Where you, would you position um, yourself? Then there's in Eastern Europe uh, sort of an even distribution of people who clearly say, okay, um, um, freedom shouldn't be. Um, restricted, limited by anything, sort of um, buying into this liberal model and sort of the other half um, considering notions of responsibility. So it's a bit half-half. And um, uh, especially when it comes to the responsibility question, um, people often react um, 
very skeptical, sometimes even slightly aggressive, um, because they know that this is also, of course, used um, as an instrument from, from politicians, from governments to, to discipline the media. Now, there's the second quote here from this Polish journalist who is very strict defender of, of the, the liberal model. I don't know what responsibility means, what this is. From my, my point of view, it's a slogan used by politicians when there has been something published they do not like. Um, and I think um, this is um, where responsibility becomes the front line in the, the um, sort of about power and influence um, where uh, journalists are becoming very, very cautious. Um, there's also, an, I thought, an, um, a quite an extreme view by a Bulgarian um, um, journalist who, um, uh, who, is, who is even turning it the upside down and sa saying that irresponsibility is the virtue um, media should pursue because it actually means that they, don't, they are not accountable to anybody. So, um, but as I said, there is um, a bit the half-half distribution, but I, I just wanted to, to demonstrate here where people um, articulate the, the liberal position, mainly because the liberal position hardly exists in, in the 12 African countries. And uh, in, in, in these interviews, both from South Africa and Namibia, um, there is widespread consensus, you hardly hear any other um, opinions, where people are saying, yeah, um, press freedom isn't absolute, shouldn't be absolute, and responsibility is a very um, dominant, paramount uh, concept they are trying to, to, to grasp. Um, so here, uh, this South African journalist is saying, media freedom comes of the hell of responsibility. And I think we are always on our soapboxes screaming, media freedom, media freedom. But I think there needs to be introspection. Um, so they, 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 they take much more self-critical stance here. And, and um, I find it also quite impressive how uh, these people, and they are also quite talkative, therefore these um, South African <laughs> interviews are really quite nice to analyze because you get quite a lot out of it. Um, so how they reflect on themselves, how they see themselves as really important agents in society. Um, yeah. Um, so there, there, you can argue, and I think the, this is quite a, a quite a, um, a clear pattern where you see um, a cluster um, on the one hand um, in Eastern Europe where there is more. Um, yeah, acceptance of the liberal model and uh, in the African uh, case where there is more um, um, acceptance of the um, responsibility model. And Herman is always telling me that it has to do with um, this African philosophy of Ubuntu. Now, I, I can't really argue about this, to what extent this really uh, influences um, journalism, um, but Herman is obviously saying it, that there's uh, this philosophy which um, um, argues much more of um, a relational 
uh, view on on um, being a, a human, and therefore it's less individualistic, much more um, related to um, um, the community as a whole. And um, but at the same time, it's also a concept like responsibility in in, in general, um, which is uh, used to, to restrict and uh, stifle press freedom here. Okay, um, so moving on, if, if um, um, uh, to, to the question, okay, if, if um, press freedom isn't absolute, um, what are possible boundaries? What are uh, possible justifications <coughs> where you could say, okay, this would be uh, justifiable reasons why um, the press can't just do what they want? Basically, the list of arguments you get is very similar to, to what journalists and in established um, democracies and established uh, media systems would say there's um, um, public order, privacy, state security, all of this. I, I think people um, um, consider in a very similar way as journalists here. Um, there's also um, quite a lot of, of talking about respect for people uh, who are subject of, of the news. Um, in, in Poland, which is certainly more of um, the, the, the particular culture in, in Poland, where people refer to religious feelings, which doesn't come up in any of the other countries, and where um, Journalists were even sympathetic to the, uh, to the decision of media, the media not to, to publish or republish the Danish cartoons because they obviously were very um, sympathetic with religious feelings which were involved here. Um, so that's probably something where you um, could say that um, this is very similar probably to what you would find in, in Western uh, democracies as well. Um, overall, I think it's quite interesting to, to, uh, to observe people trying to come to grips with this question, where are the boundaries? Because they come up with these lists, but when you ask them for questions, uh, for, for particular instances or examples, um, journalists are extremely reluctant and cautious to give any examples and as if they don't want to, to sort of commit themselves. But I think there's also um, the problem that they are aware how complex and how ambiguous these situations are. And there's a nice um, statement by a Bulgarian um, journalist who is saying, I believe the universal rule should be that the, that the truth is the best approach to any such situation. But in reality, there are problems with applying this truth. So there, there's huge gap between the principle and the particular and uh, actual situation and the gap and the dilemmas you, you are facing here. Um, right. Um, there's, um, um, yeah, there's then 
I think quite interesting uh, considerations from uh, these people about what they actually mean by press responsibility. So uh, even though they started very reluctantly, I think uh, it produced quite a lot of very interesting and rich material. Uh, how they understand um, responsibility, what the areas are where responsibility comes in. And I think that you can um, sort of cluster it or, um, into these three areas of responsibility. One is um, mainly related to professional norms, which is sort of um, responsibility towards your own profession uh, to keep up the, the standards. Um, social responsibility uh, refers to um, the contribution to society at large and um, sort of a particular area is political responsibility, which refers to the role of the media or journalism in the situation of democratization. Um, so again, when you ask um, people about, uh, or when people, uh, we didn't really ask, um, when people talked about what I summarize is, is um, um, quality standards or professional responsibility, then again, you get very much textbook answers. And this is, um, a problem with this kind of, of uh, interviews in general to get through these textbook answers, yeah, um, because it's just popping out of the top of your head. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but those who didn't have an appointment in five minutes um, started then to reflect on on these uh, standards of accuracy, diversity, objectivity, and neutrality. You know the, the story. And um, I thought quite interesting uh, are these two uh, comments by Polish journalists uh, who actually question um, the validity of um, the diversity, the, the objectivity norm. Uh, so the first one here is saying, from my point of view, facts are not the most important thing, but the climate of opinion around them. So for me, the issue of responsibility is a matter of creating climates of opinion, which is very much in line, I think, of um, previous research, which found that especially journalists in Eastern Europe, um, Central Europe, Middle Europa, um, have more emphasized on opinion leadership rather than this factual reporting, which obviously is the textbook norm, but there is this resistance from these uh, long-term traditions of being opinion leaders. And I don't think that this is really in a heritage of, of communist time, which some people think, because you would find it all over Europe, and it's older than just um, the um, sort of the propaganda model of, of communist, communist journalism. Um, the next one, I think, is I found quite striking. Um, which is saying journalists showing the conflict by saying, okay, Jaroslav Kaczynski says this, and Donald Trust says this, and that's all. This is the bad tradition. Yeah? This is this um, balanced um, uh, um, um, norm, a balancing norm of journalism. 
Whereas I'm used to the tradition where the journalist says, we are looking at arguments from both sides, and it seems that this man is more right than the other. I think that this new school presents political life as a slapstick comedy, where one shouts that the other one is right, and another shouts that the other one is wrong, and there is no conclusion. So I thought, I, I really like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe some of you are familiar with this article by Gail uh, Tuckman about uh, objectivity as strategic ritual, and um, you can use it's just an illustration of her argument that uh, these pairing um, truth claims are often leading to exactly the opposite. Uh, from what they're meant to be. And this journalist reflects on this, and, um, and I think most probably American journalists, I think, <laughs> would stand hands up about this. But she is basically saying that uh, this schematic um, balancing leads to a situation where it's relatively meaningless. There's also more in this quote, I think, uh, which is interesting because he talks about uh, two schools of journalism and um, which um, refers to the old and the new generation, a theme which comes up quite a lot in the Polish interviews. Um, it seems that old and new generation is, is really cleavage here in the journalistic community. So um, this, this journalist is coming from the opposition movement and has been active in, in um, pre-88 um, Solidarność movement. And uh, he is saying, this is the old school. We want to provide meaning, and we reflect on it. And then the new school, he refers to as the new generation of journalists who have adopted uh, the Anglo-Saxon model of, of journalism here. And he's saying that, not with me, Alice is slept, <laughs> slapstick. So uh, I think this is um, quite interesting, where somebody really um, heads on is questioning these models um, you would find in the textbooks. Um, Upsla. Um, right. So I think, in, uh, yeah, therefore there's no slide, uh, because <laughs> there, isn't, uh, there isn't anything similar uh, in, the African uh, in, in the African interviews, actually. Uh, people don't question these norms. There, might, there are some reflections on it, okay, how to contextualize these norms, but nothing like these relatively fundamental um, challenges to, to journalistic norms. Um, Okay, I think I don't go into because um, always takes a bit longer. Um, uh, in too much detail, this is about journalistic ethics. I think the, the interesting thing here is, um, okay, this is more about journalistic conduct when they, they collect their material. And the, the, the issue of professional ethic uh, came up basically only in the Bulgarian interviews, not really in the other three countries. And um, what is the dominant um, topic in the Bulgarian interviews is corruption. Um, I mean, no wonder the <laughs> country is so corrupt. But uh, I also got the impression that corruption is becoming a bit of a uh, um, topic of Bulgarian identity. I like mafia for poetry. Okay. Paolo isn't here, but 
<laughs> but uh, there's almost no interview where corruption isn't addressed. Um, and uh, there's also quite a lot of, of talk about uh, not just corruption of the political class and the, the economic class, but uh, how journalists are uh, involved in this corruption and part of this whole entrenched system. Of course, it's always the others, not these um, people we were interviewing. Um, and it was also quite um, sensitive to navigate around it because, of course, we wanted to hear about this. So we always ask about, did they hear about other cases? So that people sort of felt a bit relaxed not to talk about themselves. Um, but given that everybody of them uh, had lots of examples of others, it's a bit unlikely that we just got these um, clean hands there in our sample. <laughs> anyway, so um, this is um, very situational for Bulgaria, um, and it's not addressed in other countries, which probably doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't exist in other countries. Uh, checkbook journalism and similar things, but in Bulgaria it's just um, part of um, what journalists think about when they th think about their own um, um, professional role. Um, moving on to this uh, second um, category of social respons uh, res responsibility. Um, There's, there's, again, I think, an interesting pattern that um, issues of social responsibility are hardly ever um, addressed by journalists in, Eastern, in these two Eastern European countries, but are um, um, very dominant in all the interviews um, in Namibia and um, South Africa. So there are different themes here, protect human rights, um, give voice to the people who are not heard, overcoming the constraints of commercial interests and talk about poverty, even though poverty doesn't have much news value. And um, there are also interesting um, examples where journalists talk about how um, uh, the media are, become, are becoming some kind of shortcut for uh, social justice. And um, I think similar things have been um, reported about Russian journalists, actually. But um, uh, there is the, the, the first quote here is talking about a process where um, disadvantaged people are using the media to get um, what they believe they ought to, uh, to get. So it's saying it's become almost a quicker way than the official method for trying to get justice done. If you haven't got the house you're supposed to get, or this or that. You phone a radio station, or you write to the Sovietan, or even the Daily Sun, and you get yourself on the front page and something happens as a result. So that's um, obviously an interesting sort of shortcut parallel process of um, the relatively slow mills of official um, allocation of housing in this case. Um, and it seems that journalists are quite a lot uh, involved in this kind of advocacy, social advocacy. And of course there's the idea that um, um, 
journalists have to educate people and tell them uh, what had happened before about the struggle and what they got. Which um, leads to, to the last section of responsibility, political responsibility, which is um, um, more closely related to journalists' role in the, in the transition process, their contribution to the quality of, of democracy, and their role in uh, defending democratic values. Um, again, this political responsibility is very dominant um, in, in this case, Poland, but not in Bulgaria. Um, so this is another interesting pairing where you see similarities which are not just okay along the lines okay Eastern Europe versus South, uh, um, African countries, which was the case for example for the social responsibility theme. Um, but when it comes to political responsibility, you see a very close relation uh, similarities between Poland and South Africa. Um, where um, the, the issue of political responsibility is very dominant, uh, whereas in the media in Bulgaria it's hardly mentioned, if at all. So in Poland, uh, the, the interviews um, are seeing themselves like this one, which I really like. <laughs> we are the guardians of the holy fire, um, which <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't really um, imagine that anybody, say, in America or Britain would say this. Um, but this, of course, has its roots in, in the long history of political opposition during the, um, the communist regime. And from there is, um, comes the feeling of, um, on the one hand, uh, the being um, almost like a missionary, so you give guidance to politicians, yeah. But also this huge sense of responsibility for um, the yeah, fragile democracy. Um, it's also interesting that quite a lot of Polish journalists then derive from this political responsibility to take sides in the political um, controversy. And since Solidarność has now split up in, in very um, opposite camps, uh, for the same reason journalists ended up in different camps and, um, and fighting each other. Uh, one, this, because this was still in the Kaczynski time, in favor and others um, against. And um, I don't know, I think this is a bit of an illusion, what one of them is saying. It was our duty and we have fulfilled it. The reason was not that we didn't like this. We were just defending democratic values, and these are two different things. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we don't know whether, <laughs> whether we believe it, but uh, this probably also contributed to a very polarized situation. Uh, in South Africa, it's more complicated, probably, and probably also harder for the journalists to find their place. Um, because many of them are saying there is no um, real opposition in South Africa. The ANC has the absolute uh, majority. There is no, uh, um, yeah, 
yeah, you, there's no expectation that it will split up and you would have a challenge, a challenger to the ANC. So an opposition doesn't really exist. And many journalists um, regard themselves as taken, taking on the role of the non-existing political opposition. This in particular um, brings black journalists in quite a, um, yeah, in a very problematic role because they feel themselves in, yeah, torn between loyalties. Um, and um, there's quite a lot of, I think, even moving elaborations what it means to um, attack the government, which they believe is the, the embodiment of what they have struggled for for years. So. Um, there again, there's this political mission um, sort of nurtured and, and growing out of the very strong opposition movement during the apartheid time. Okay, um, sorry for taking it long. Um, yeah, but coming back in the conclusion to these um, different patterns of um, how press freedom is socially constructed, what comes out of these processes of interpretation, reinterpretation, um, copying um, from, from Western models. So in principle, the answer is you get um, evidence for all these processes in parallel. So on the one hand, you, you do have uh, um, evidence for convergence. There is an, a universal acceptance of journalistic quality standards, except for, for some of the Polish uh, journalists who are particularly sophisticated here. They all subscribe to. Um, but there's also something like a fragmented convergence, uh, like uh, in established uh, democracies where you do have um, different orientations towards a more liberal model or a responsibility model. You also see different um, um, orientations here with more leaning in Eastern Europe uh, towards the liberal model and um, in, in the African case to, towards the responsibility model. But you also see uh, a reinterpretation of press freedom in the cultural context in which uh, journalists operate. And also, and I think this is a particularly strong um, um, source of these interpretations, the historical heritage, um, which is particularly strong in Poland and South Africa and which shapes how journalists think there. Um, and then, of course, there are um, situational uh, constraints where journalists think they have to jump in and fulfill a role, like um, filling in the void of an op opposition in South Africa, um, um, hunting down corruption in Bulgaria. So um, it's not either or, but a very hybrid, mixed mix of, of, of sources. Um, which creates a particular picture of the press freedom here. Okay.